worship and to be gathered together with you. I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and we are deep into a look at the story. Uh, if you're joining us for the very first time, we've been traveling through a narrative look at the Bible. Uh, this is a book that is called The Story, and what it tries to do is it tries to take the uh, biblical story that we find and put it in a chronological, easy-to-read kind of narrative format, and that's what we've been going through this summer. Specifically this summer, we've been in the New Testament. So we've been in uh, the life and uh, kind of the beginnings of Jesus, and we've been looking at him and his ministry over these last couple weeks. Um, and today, as we're going to see, there's there's something that, that changes. So up until now, uh, with the story, the story has been mostly about his birth, uh, how he was raised by Mary and Joseph, and how his ministry really began. His ministry began and Jesus started healing people. He started teaching and preaching. He started talking about the kingdom of God. He was doing some incredible stuff. And people started joining him, kind of being interested in him and who he was and asking themselves, who is this guy? He's got something really going on here. And they wanted to be a part of it. And so he started to gathering some followers, disciples, and eventually entire crowds would chase after Jesus because they wanted to see what was the trajectory of Jesus' life and ministry. What was this guy going to do in the future? I mean, things had been kind of difficult for the Jewish people up until that point. The Romans were still in power. There was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of injustice. And all of a sudden, you have this itinerant preacher running around saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. And he started talking to people in a way that they could understand and they could relate and, and it made sense to them in their lives. And last week, Pastor Bob kind of unpacked parables. You remember some of the parables that he began to use to help word pictures that, that help people understand the significance of the big overarching story and what God is up to, was up to, and will be up to into the future. And so that's kind of what we've seen so far. And for all intents and purposes, Jesus is pretty awesome up till now. I mean, he's like a rocket ship. This guy's got it going on. You want to be around him. If you're a disciple, you want to hitch yourself to this rising star. Fair enough to say. I mean, this guy's getting really popular. Now, it's true, there's some friction going on. We'll talk about that with some of the political leaders at the time. But for all intents and purposes, things are rocking and rolling for Jesus and his followers up till now. I mean, he's healing people left and right. He fed 5,000 people. And it's really starting to gain some big, big momentum in the lives of the people of Israel. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does something. You just heard it read. He does something really, really uncomfortable, unpredictable. He kind of blindsides everybody. And he talks about something, well, let's just read it. He talks about it in Matthew 16. He talks about it in all the Gospels, but here's one definitive example. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, simply, honestly, openly, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Jesus starts talking 
about his death. Wah, wah. This is a weird shift in the story. This is a weird part where we don't really expect. you got Jesus where everything's rocking and rolling and doing really well, and then he takes everybody together and says, Guys, got some bad news. When I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. I mean, can you imagine being in the circle at that moment and being like, Come again? Say what? You're going to what? what is, is this another parable thing? This is really uncomfortable. This is a huge shift in the story because all of a sudden, Jesus is speaking about and orienting himself towards the cross that is in his future. He knows it's there. He begins to reorient his mind, his decisions. He begins to take steps towards Jerusalem and the death that's waiting for him there. And for for everybody involved in this, for all the disciples gathered around this, this is is got to evoke feelings and emotions of confusion and anxiety and worry. I mean, you know that feeling in the bottom of your tummy when it's just like dread, you're dreading something? Or just like that, that uneasy sickness comes into your tummy and you're just dreading something in the future that's got to be what they were experiencing at this time they've got to be dreading the reality that christ has begun walking towards the cross and what is that going to mean for jesus what is that going to mean for us his disciples overwhelming feelings of confusion fear and dread the disciples began to dread Christ's death. Now, help capture that sense of dread. Uh, Sometimes you, you probably experienced dread in your life before, something that you just really want to avoid, something you don't want to talk about. You guys know what I'm talking about? We even have sayings like the elephant in the room, like, oh, don't talk about that. We dread even entering into conversation with somebody about those things. We don't want to think about it. We, want to, we don't want to acknowledge it. We're just, we're confused. We're unsure. We don't know how it's going to pan out. And so we're worried about it. Let me give you a very concrete example. Yesterday, I went to the Rivoli. You guys know Rivoli in Cedarburg? It's a, it's a theater. And we saw Jurassic World. Anybody seen Jurassic World? Okay. Okay, a couple hands fulls. If you haven't, don't worry about it. Don't, don't bother. Um, <laughs> I like Chris Pratt. It's true. I like him. He's a really good actor. He's really fun. Um, but uh, the movie as a whole, yeah, I'm a, but I'm a, I'm a fan of the franchise. You with me? Jurassic, okay. How many of y'all remember when Jurassic Park came out? That was the coolest movie, wasn't it? I mean, that was awesome. Oh, my gosh. I saw a guy walking around with a Jurassic Park T-shirt on at the movie, and I'm like, yes, that guy's cool, immediately awesome guy, right? Because that whole genre, that whole idea of dinosaurs living again and, like, running around and doing stuff, I mean, it's cool, right? Well, okay, here's the point. The point is this. Do you notice that in every single Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movie, there's that one token scene of that poor guy who's stuck in a thunderstorm on an island filled with dinosaurs? Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
It's like that one scene is guaranteed, and you always feel bad for this guy because he's, I always have empathy because I'm a geek at heart. I love, like, computers and technology and stuff. And so this poor guy is always some, some geeky, nerdy technology guy, and he's stuck there with a computer in the rain in the middle of a thunderstorm on an island with dinosaurs running around. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's that token scene. And like every time what happens, he's sitting there and he's working furiously, right? And he knows that he's in trouble. He knows he's got to get out of there. And then all of a sudden, lightning flashes. And what's in the background? A dinosaur. You just see the outline. You know what I'm talking about? You just see the outline? And then he's working, he's working, he's working, working. And then all of a sudden, lightning flashes and the dinosaur is closer. And the lightning flashes again, and the dinosaur is really close. And all of a sudden, that guy starts having this overwhelming sense of dread. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he, like, it's always the same. He, like, slowly picks up his face. Because he knows there's something out there. It's a very uncomfortable situation. He doesn't want to face whatever it is. But he knows it ain't going to be good, whatever it is. He knows that much. I mean, come on. He's on an island with a bunch of dinosaurs. He knows it's going to be bad if he looks up. But he also knows he can't help but look up because his future is coming whether he wants it there or not. And so he looks up and lightning flashes the final time. And he's like this far from a dinosaur. And it's a T-Rex, of course, right? It's always a T-Rex. You guys know the scene I'm talking about? I feel like that's a good analogy in our own lives of how often we have these overwhelming sense of, of this overwhelming sense of dread, of fear, anxiety, worry, things that creep into our life that we just don't want to face. We just don't want to name. We just don't want to deal with. They, they, they didn't go according to plan. It's not what we were anticipating. It's not what we were hoping for. It's not what we want. I mean, do you really want to come face to face with a Tyrannosaurus Rex? No. And yet, don't we all have, to one degree or another, significant monsters running around loose in our lives? problems and issues and difficulties that we have to face eventually. And we know they're in our future and we just don't know what to do about it. So we turn a blind eye and we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to deal with it. We want to push it off as long as possible and maybe it'll just go away. Maybe the dinosaur will just run from us. This is what the disciples were feeling. Jesus, don't talk about that. Jesus, that can't be right. I mean, Jesus, no, 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 no. This is not how this works, Jesus. You're here to kick out the Romans. You're here to bring back the kingdom. I mean, Jesus, you're the man. I mean, you're healing people. No, it's, no, 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 no. As long as we're smart, as long as we're careful, we, we, we're, we're not going to have any issues. You don't need to worry about dying in Jerusalem. Like, we just need to be smart about this. And yet Jesus is the one looking at them, plainly saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and suffering. And my cross awaits me there. It asks a good question of us. What do we dread? What evokes that feeling, that emotion, that experience of not wanting to look up, not wanting to deal with it?
What is it for you? It could be something like a shopping addiction. It could be something like pornography. It could be something like a broken relationship, a fracturing between a father and a a child, a a, a distant relative that you just don't want to have a conversation with. You don't want to deal with them. You just want to keep ignoring them, and hopefully they'll go away. It could be your finances are getting totally spiraled out of control. You're in so much debt, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to get back in a good place. It could be something with your house. It could be something with your work. It could be something with your marriage. I mean, the list goes on, right? The list goes on and on of those things that, that evoke a sense of foreboding and dread in our lives. And we just don't want to face them. Sometimes we do what Peter did. Peter... And all, I love Peter just because, uh, not that he's this superhero, but that he's actually such a broken and fractured individual. Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, no way, Jesus. Nuh-uh, heaven forbid. This, we can't let, this won't, I will not let this happen to you. I mean, that's what he's saying. Peter took him aside, began to reprimand Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. No way, it's not in the cards. This is not part of the plan, Jesus. How often do we have issues or things that are going on in our life where we got a monster running loose, something that brings us dread, and rather than dealing with the issue at hand, we end up blaming or causing friction with other people instead? You guys ever do that? You're really upset about this over here, but you lash out at people that you're close to. You lash out at people that you love. You, you say something or do something painful to somebody that really doesn't ultimately have to do with the situation at hand. You ever done that before? Yeah, huh? We all done that. We all done that. That's what Peter's doing. Rather than facing the reality that Jesus is saying his new orientation around his ministry and life, his mission and his purpose is leading him to a cross. Peter is saying, no, no, that's not part of the plan, Jesus. That ain't going to happen no more. Um, I'm not going to let that happen to you. And he's causing a friction as if Peter in his arrogance has the ability to stop what Jesus is doing. And he causes pain and friction between the relationship between him and Jesus. And yet we do things like that. The good news in that, though, is although Peter and we continue to really look at and examine and walk towards the cross, even though Peter is busy saying, there's got to be another way, Jesus is firm, resolute. Jesus continues fixed upon the cross. Jesus starts going in the direction of his own death. Scripture says it like this. At that time, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Some of the translations that I I really like, one of the translations says, he set, in this exact same verse, he set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus' intention and focus had not, he was not pulled away or distracted 
even though Peter and the rest of the disciples, uh, their, their emotions are out of whack, their actions and their thoughts are out of whack, Jesus is firmly resolute. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to the cross. Now, it's true, Jesus himself even feels troubled about this. He gets anxious about this. He says in John 12, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? Shouldn't I, should I just ask God to say, no, there's got to be another way? Should I fall into the trap of all the other disciples and into Peter of saying, no, I'm not going to deal with the big issue at hand? I'm, I'm going to refocus my attention on other things and keep letting this monster run loose? No. It is for this very reason that I have come to this hour. I am firm and my feet and my direction are set. I'm heading towards Jerusalem. And the cross that waits for me there. This is actually good news for you and me. This is good news for those of us who often do fall off. That Jesus, regardless of all of the circumstances and situations, regardless of the threats against his life, by this point in time, he's escaped two different mobs, lynch mobs, that came after him to stone him to death. They were riled up by the, the political machinations of the time. He's, been, he's got a warrant for his arrest. He's out right now. Jesus is not speaking his death into a vacuum. They all know this is very real. This is a possibility. This is not only a possibility, it's a probability. And Jesus is saying, no, it's a definite. It's going to happen. And I am still going to do it. There is something beautiful and yet challenging when God continues to work for the good of the disciples, even when it doesn't go according to the disciples' plan. Even when it might push the disciples into an uncomfortable position. There is beauty and challenge when God works for our good, even when we don't want him to. We don't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem. We don't want to face the things that are of issues in our lives. And yet God goes there Anyways, Jesus goes there anyways. I could put it to you like this. A disciple's dread, both the disciples in the scriptures that are talked about, Peter and the twelve, as well as the disciples of today, you, me, us, who follow Jesus. Our fear, anxiety, and worry our dread over whatever is hanging out in front of us, that big significant thing that we just, the dinosaur in the room that we just don't want to face. God is going to lead us there. He's going straight towards it. He's beelining towards those things in our lives. The cross that's hanging out in front of us. God's leading us there. For our own good. For your own good. God goes to the cross and He wants you to follow Him. 
Do you notice that the disciples didn't stop following Jesus at this point in time? Jesus says, I'm going to the Jerusalem. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the cross. And rather than kick some stones around and say, okay, never mind, I'm jumping off this bandwagon, they follow. They know that it's going to mean the death of their own dreams, the death of their own aspirations, the death of what they imagined Jesus would do and what Jesus would be about. I mean, why does Peter react this way? It's because he's thinking about Jesus. No way, you can't let that happen. Because I've got plans. I've got intents. I I picture you kicking out the Romans. I picture you establishing the kingdom, and I'm going to be a part of that. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, ain't going to be like that, man. And yet, Peter still follows him. Jesus and the story, God and his work and his activity will continue to move forward for the well-being of you and me, regardless, no matter what. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, no matter what. And in doing so, he invites his disciples to follow after him. To seek out their own cross. To deal with whatever it is that they've got to deal with, that the Father is calling them to face. He says it again in Matthew 16, very explicitly. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you've got to give up your own way, your thoughts, your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams, and you've got to take up your cross. You've got to put to death the fears, the anxieties, and the chains that are keeping you from being the person that I aspire you to be. To be a person whose love and orientation is outward focused, is focused upon those who are hurting, those who are marginalized, those who are in need of love and grace and compassion, just as my life and ministry has been. And in the process of doing that, if you're my follower, I guarantee you, you will experience a cross of your own. Trials and tribulations that will come. And yet, I call you there even so. Because when you experience the cross, if you try to hang on to your life, if you try to chase after these other things, you're going to lose it. But if you choose the way of the cross, if you choose to follow me to Jerusalem, if you give up your life as I am giving up mine, you will save it. Sometimes people talk to me and they say, Pastor, when I become a Christian, doesn't that mean everything's like, you know, Roses and butterflies and unicorns. No, it's actually Tyrannosaurus rexes running around in your life. And you've got to face them. It's the cross. It's acknowledging and living into and following after the Master as he leads us to Jerusalem. But even so much as we follow our master to Jerusalem, even so much as each one of us have to face up and deal with the things in our lives that we really don't want to, every time Christ predicts his death, he also speaks of resurrection, of life after death. 
You see, as challenging as it is for you to sit down and look in the mirror and ask yourself, what am I avoiding? What brings me dread? What brings me doubt? What is the future out there that I am not choosing to pursue that makes me anxious or frustrated or afraid? As much as you do that, Christ is beckoning you to the cross and saying, look, there's something beyond the cross. It is worth picking up the phone, having that conversation with that relative that you have not talked to in ages. It is worth trying to restore the relationship because of the life that is possible after. It is worth putting your faith and your hope in the person of Jesus Christ because there is life after the cross. And when you follow him to the cross, you will save your own life. Jesus says it in a couple different ways in the scriptures. He says it in 1 Corinthians. He makes fun of death in a sense. This is actually the Apostle Paul, but he's speaking to and about Christ. He says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Sin is the sting that results in death. Law gives its power, gives sin its power. But thank God, because he has given us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ and his cross. So even as you face up to that reality, that difficulty that is calling and beckoning to you, you can claim victory beyond it, through it. Christ doesn't let us sit in the grave. He brings life after death. He brings resurrection after crucifixion. For himself... And his followers. In fact, we talked about Peter earlier. Peter follows Jesus to Jerusalem. He witnesses Christ's resurrection. And his whole life and the, the possibilities and the plans, the echoes of what Peter did are still felt today. I'm talking about him right now. And he's having an impact on me and on you. Peter would follow the way of the cross to the point where he would literally be crucified himself. Upside down, actually, because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified in the same manner of Jesus. And as Peter, one of the followers of Christ, was crucified, Peter was able to hold on to a promise that Jesus made, that Jesus proved with his own resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And so Peter, as he embraced the cross, believed that Christ would bring life to him even after, after the grave and after the cross. So too that promises for you and me that even as we follow the cross and set our face to Jerusalem and start getting at some of the tough stuff in our lives that we've been putting off, we do so as a people, believing and trusting that there is life after death. There is resurrection after the cross. So we do not engage in these conversations idly. I do not entreat you to go and deal with the tough stuff in your life lightly. I'm warning you that if you don't deal with it, it'll, it'll just get worse. If you do deal with it, it'll be the way of the cross. And it will hurt and there will be pain. But there is also life. There's also resurrection.
Over the next two weeks, we're going to get more into the cross. Next week, we get into the crucifixion itself. And then we're going to celebrate Easter again. Or once again, we get to that point in the story where it's all about life. So my invitation for you is to acknowledge and examine your own heart and look for the cross. But do it anticipating the story of Easter, life after death. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness of Peter and how his story continues to edify us. We thank you for the witness of all the disciples who were faithful and followed you to Jerusalem and witnessed you upon the cross. So too, they witnessed you rising again from the dead. They saw an empty tomb. In doing so, they were so motivated, they were so filled with faith and belief that they could acknowledge the difficulties in their own lives and pursue the cross in themselves. I ask and pray that you would lead each one of us to set our own face towards the cross and resolutely begin the process of walking towards it, filled with faith and hope in your promise of life after death that you will bring us through whatever cross we might face and that you will continue to work for our good no matter the fear, the doubts, or the dread that we bring to the conversation. Lead us, Lord. Lead us to the empty grave and to life everlasting in your kingdom. We ask this boldly as your followers, trusting in your compassion and grace and work in our lives and in this world. We ask it in the Son, Jesus Christ, in his holy name.